Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, councilman here in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know I've talked to people from every state at all levels of office, uh, from school board to U.S. Senate, from Maine to Hawaii, Alaska to Florida. And the, the politics that interest me the most, especially lately, are state legislatures, because that is where the best things are happening, um, like we saw in Minnesota uh, recently, or the worst things are happening, which is you can see in a lot of states, unfortunately. Um, but I'm going to talk to someone who is one of the better people doing things in politics these days. Um, there's a lot of good people in politics. Dude. Uh, you might not believe that. But her name is Laura Tarek. She is a state representative in Arizona, and maybe she'll convince me to come out and visit Arizona sometime because I've never been, but I'm sure she's going to have a lot of good things to say about what got her involved and hopefully why you should run for office. So, uh, Laura, thank you for talking today. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be here. So I have heard, I mean, I look, read you up, you, you have background education, and it seems like education, um, especially if you're a teacher, is inherently political these days. I don't know if that's like important, but have you always been political? Have you always been involved in the political scene or did something kind of spur you to do more than just voting? I mean, I have always been political. I, I remember when I was in high school, I joined about, you know, a thousand or 2000 of my fellow students in a walkout to protest low teacher pay. Hmm. And it's pretty unbelievable that 20 years later, I am still here fighting for the same thing, but that's the state of education in Arizona. And, but if I had to point to one moment where I, where I really knew, you know, this is, I have to get involved. I have to do more partners. I had about 36 kids in front of me, which is, is too many for a single classroom. And I, I hear this crack and I look up at my ceiling and I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's coming down. And sure enough, it was. So I, in that moment, you know, I, I jumped up and shielded the kids so that the falling debris hit me instead of them. And so thankfully I was the only one injured. But again, this is the state of education in Arizona. And it made me think like, if we can't even keep our buildings up around our kids, what else are we not doing for them? Um, and then I, I was still in the classroom, you know, I've been out for, for a couple of years now, but I was still in the classroom when the state stopped funding full day kinder. And I saw what a difference that made for my students. I mean, kindergarten is foundational for their, their later educational success. And there was a lawmaker at the time who came out and said, well, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because kindergarten is just babysitting anyway. And I, I called that gentleman, you know, I gave that gentleman a call and, and I said, hey, I would really love for you to come and visit our classroom so that you can see what it is that we do and how important this work is. From him, but I thought to myself, okay, if you won't come to my house and take care of my students, then I'm going to come to your house and change the laws. Yeah, my kids um, went through full day kindergarten, and there's uh, there's schools around here, very well off schools that don't have full day kindergarten. It's, it's still amazing to me because they're clearly doing better because they had a good daycare that had pre K. They went to a kindergarten. They're getting straight A's in classes in third and first grade now. Um, but you said about that they didn't come to see your classroom, that they didn't know. Now that you've been in the legislature, how much do you think that ignorance of a classroom is a big issue with what people's politics are around education? Because I see so many people who I don't think they understand what's actually going on in the classroom. I completely agree with that. And and one of the most surprising things for me, so I sit on the House Education Committee uh, with three other Democrats, and we're known at the Capitol as the Teacher Caucus. We're, we're quite proud of that. Um, but my colleagues across the aisle 
some of them have some educational experience. Like I think we have a school administrator who ran um, like a 30 person private school. And I think that's essentially it. So no one who sits across from us on that dais has ever taught full time in a classroom. And I think that 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 knowledge is really invaluable because you see what it's like day to day. um, and And it definitely informs your perspective and gives you broader insight into the issues that, that our schools are facing. And it's interesting to me, too, that, you know, you see so many people um, who like to uh, grandstand about the border. They're like, we're going to go and go tour the border, which there's only so much of it you can see at one time. It's a big border. Um, they only care about one border, of course, too. But there's a school in every legislative district. Like, you don't have to go hundreds of miles. It's something that they could all do. And it looks good to you as a legislator going to see a school. What do you, is there something that's preventing them? Do they not want to see what is uncomfortable about legislation? Or why do you think people don't put in the effort to really understand what schools are like? Gosh, you know, that's a good question, and I'm really not sure. Um, one of my favorite things to do, you know, we the legislature kind of runs Monday through Thursday, roughly, in Arizona. And so Fridays are a bit freer. And I get out to school sites, you know, several Fridays a month. Um, just to check in with people. And I also, I mean, education is such a huge part of our state budget. I want our school site, you know, our principals, our administrators to know that there are people down there at the Capitol who are invested in what they're doing and and who want to learn more about their work and who are fighting for them down there. As to why more people don't do that, I I just really don't know. I wish they would, and, and I would encourage them to do so. And for my part, I've tried to, you know, reach out to some of my colleagues and, and, ask them to take some of those tours and, and we'll see. I think that's a, a process that will, will evolve over the next several years. Now you ran for office in 2022, which was, well, every election is the most important election that's ever happened here. But um, what, what were the things that you did to start that path? Like, did you know what you were going to do once you get into it? Because you had some involvement in politics, but did you know what you would have to do once you started? I did. I, I had a really kind of unique, background coming into this. So as I mentioned, I was out of the classroom uh, and I had worked for two uh, two of my now colleagues at the state legislature level who were running in competitive districts. And in Arizona, there, there really aren't that many competitive districts. There are more now than there were previously. And so I had a really good look at exactly what it takes to campaign and exactly what it takes to win. And then I've also, for the last several years, worked with a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization focused on helping people get involved with local government. So part of my job was helping folks testify before the legislature, tracking bills, things like that. So not only did I have a good sense of what the campaign would be like, but I also knew what it would be like to go in uh, and legislate. And so I was able to hit the ground running a little bit more. Um, But yeah, running in one of those competitive districts in Arizona, I mean, it was full steam ahead. I knew that it was going to be my entire life for a year and and it absolutely was now obviously it's very stressful for you as a person going through this and i think we all often take away the humanity of politics like they're just a democrat just a republican just a person like a number of the 50 or 51 democrats or republicans but arizona was also like the most important state maybe in the country for a lot of people in terms of the national politics so you had your own election what would could be a majority or close to a majority in the legislature. And you also had two of the craziest elections for Senate and governor that same time. Knowing what you know and seeing what you've seen in Arizona and also seeing the impact of legislation, 
what stressed you out the most? Like, was it just your own? Were you all focused on yourself? Or you're like, I got to worry about Katie Hobbs and the other stuff. I mean, those things were always on my mind and we certainly coordinated, you know, so that we were carrying literature and, and talking, you know, to folks at the doors about, um, up ballot and down ballot races. We did a lot for our school board uh, candidates, but I, you know, for me, the way that I got through it is I focused on what I could control, which was my race. And, and that, that was the only way I knew how to get through it. And, you know, I think about election night and we knew we were going to need a huge lead on night one to withstand, you know, day of and, and late early voting. Um, so it was kind of that first data drop was like make or break for us. Like, unless you have this huge lead, it's done. And so we, you know, eight o'clock hits the first, first data drop comes and we see those numbers and, and it took a minute to kind of internalize what we were seeing and that we had done it. You know, we were ahead by enough that we felt pretty comfortable. We were going to get it over the line. And in that moment, you know, realizing that we've won or that we've most likely won, we still had to wait. I, it was a dose of just the most pure joy I have ever experienced, but bigger than that. And this surprised me bigger than that was relief Mm -hmm. because I felt like, okay, at the very least I have done my job. We'll see what happens with everyone else. But at least for me, I, I did what, what they tasked me with doing and what I set out to do. Now, is your job as a candidate for the state legislature, for both yours and other candidates running, is it just about winning your race? Or do you see now the responsibility of trying to build up the base of votes for up ballot? Because it seems like it's easier to get votes for someone running for governor from, you know, good legislative candidates than it is for a governor to have coattails and bring them up. You know, we focused a lot on down ballot, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because if you looked at 2020, I mean, the, the strength of our, we, we had a ton of media and, you know, the governor's race and Senate races are so big. There's so much money behind them. Yeah. Machines that, that run those. Whereas like in 2020, we saw some really sharp drop offs and undervotes on some of these races that had people just voted their entire ballot we would have had Democrats, more Democrats sitting in these, excuse me, in these offices. So we really wanted to make sure that we were focused on, you know, school board and city council and all of those really, really important offices that have such an impact on people's day-to-day lives. Yeah. So it seems like that really builds up the top of the ticket. I've talked to people from Wisconsin and other states where because they had good races down ballot, it made a difference. One thing you just said at the beginning, too, was that you have more competitive districts than you used to. It seems like Arizona is a state that is becoming more competitive for both parties. It's, it used to be just a state that Republicans would just win. And also, I don't know if it was the same, but it also didn't seem like they were as extreme Republicans, even though they were Republicans winning in Arizona. That's obviously maybe changing. But... Why do you think the districts are becoming more competitive? Why do you think Arizona itself is becoming more competitive given its history? Well, I mean, our demographics are changing, but that, that's definitely part of it. But then also we've just seen in Arizona that the Republicans have put up a lot of really extreme candidates and, and, and with our primary system being what it is, that's oftentimes who gets through, even though that's not necessarily who is reflective of the broader electorate. So, and, and voters just by and large, I think are really exhausted by that type of rhetoric, 
that type of extremism, something I like to say is like, like make government boring again, you know, mm -hmm. let's get back to fighting about potholes and, and, you know, things like that. I, and I think voters are with us on that. So I, I do see it changing and, you know, Republicans have held a trifecta in, in this state for years and years and years. I mean, they've held control of the state house since 1960. And that, those policies have brought us, especially in education, we are, you know, 48th, 49th, 50th in nearly every single thing you can track. I mean, class size, per pupil, per pupil funding, teacher pay. And I think voters are starting to see that and, and ask themselves, well, does it have to be like this? You know, can, can we have something better than this? And, and I believe the answer is yes. Now, now that you are in the legislature, it's a very narrow majority for, um, for Republicans, right? It's like you said, districts are becoming more competitive. And honestly, it sounds like Republicans should be nervous because if Democrats had more candidates or more attention to some races, they could have flipped one of the houses in, the, in Arizona and that could happen next election. Uh, but it also sounds from what I've seen from videos and news clips that Republicans are pretty ruthless about not giving you guys uh, chances to pass legislation that is broadly popular. What's been your experience with trying to, now you won, trying to get done the things you want to do? It's It's been very frustrating. It's been very upsetting, especially because we have a divided government. I mean, we know that legislation is going to have to be bipartisan just by nature of the fact that we have a Democrat um, in, the, in the executive tower. But, and, and you know, like Democrats, so we have only, Republicans hold a one seat majority in both the State House and the State Senate. State House is 31-29 and the Senate is 16-14. And yet, so would Democrats represent virtually half of this state and I think less than 10% of the bills that we've transmitted to the Senate on the House side have been from Democrats. Now I am proud that I had the third highest number of bills through committee and the most for any freshman. I am very proud of that. But I'm also a Democrat in a competitive district and, and it has been made very clear that I will not get a win. Um, that doesn't deter me. I keep working and I keep trying and you know, okay, that avenue is closed. Let's find another one. But I did have a bill this year that was particularly upsetting. It's one of my school safety bills, and it would exempt uh, school blueprints and floor plans from public records requests. It's co-sponsored by my Republican seatmate. It benefited from a friendly Republican amendment. It went out of the government committee on a 9-0 vote. Uh, we didn't have any debate when we, when we brought it to committee of the whole. went up for a third read, you know, our final bill passage. It went up for third read and then was pulled like three different times. And I've never seen that with any other bill that, it, you know, and they kept saying, well, you need to have a majority of the majority. So go get 16 Republican signatures on a whip sheet before we'll agree to put your bill up um, on the board for passage. And that became a real sticking point and a real frustrating thing for, for our entire caucus. And, you know, we would hear from our colleagues on the other side, well, we have to do the same thing. We also have to get, you know, 16 of our members to, to get a bill up. But I kept telling them, I said, that's not an apt comparison because I have all 29 Dems with me. And then I managed to get 12 signatures on my whip sheet. So I was walking around that chamber with a super majority in my hands. I had a passed bill in my hands and they wouldn't put it up. Um, simply because I didn't have 16 Republicans. And even within that, once I hit about 11 or 12, 13 signatures, I started to hear from people, well, I'll, I'll support your bill if it goes up on the board, but I'm not going to sign your whip sheet. But I can't get it on the board 
unless you sign this whip sheet and, and there's some speculation that they were instructed uh, to not sign. And honestly, Arizonans are facing real challenges. I mean, water, affordable housing and public education. I don't, our voters are not interested in, in us playing these kinds of political games. And, and that is not what I went, went down there to do. I work very collaboratively with my colleagues across the aisle I think bipartisanship is a good thing, and I hope we see more of that um, as we move forward. So what what's messed up? Is it the incentive structure? If you're going to be a leader in a party, especially with the Republican Party right now, since they are in charge, you know they care more about getting the majority of their voters, right, their caucus mates, to support them, even though it's a tiny, tiny majority. Is there any incentive for them based on, you said, the primary structure, the kind of districts they have, what's going on with the way they interact with media. Is there any way you can change the incentive structure so there's better governance from that side? Well, I, again, I think the very nature of the fact that we do have a divided government structure now and most of the top offices in Arizona statewide are now held by Democrats. Um, like I said, Republicans have held a trifecta for a really long time. And, and so I think that it's, it's just going to take some time to shift that mentality a little bit. Because again, with my school safety bill, something I was saying to them is, you know, this is a win for everyone. You don't, you don't, this doesn't have to be a win for me. This isn't personal. We can all celebrate that we're keeping our kids safe at school. And, and especially, you know, this was happening right around the Nashville shooting. Mm-hmm. And that shooter had maps of that school. Mm. Um, and now granted, they weren't received through public records requests, but we see, we see this trend. We, this is going to keep happening. And so I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm always hopeful. I'm an eternal optimist that over time we'll start to recognize that these are wins for everybody. And, and to be clear, there are areas where we can come together. Uh, I'm working on a, on a water policy deal, water cuts across party lines. Um, it tends to be more rural versus urban, more of the division. So I think it's just, you need to have people down there who are tenacious about staying at the negotiating table. And, and that is something I know I bring to the legislature of even when it's really hard, even when you think you're not getting anywhere, you keep at it and you keep at it and you keep at it. Is looking for opportunities to do that and colleagues that I can work with in unexpected places. I, I will work with anyone. If it's good policy for Arizonans, it doesn't matter to me what the letter is next year, next year new. Well, you say that now, and I believe you. You know, not, I don't have any reason to not believe you, but let's look at Minnesota. I just talked to State Senator Liz Bolden there. They have a one-seat majority, but they have a trifecta, and they are just gaveling out progressive legislation after progressive legislation. You look at Michigan. They now have a trifecta, which they didn't before, and they are using that to do all these things that they've wanted to do in Michigan for 50 years because they haven't had a trifecta to get things done and the repealing right to work, uh, enshrining abortion rights. Do you look at what uh, legislatures are doing over there and say, man, I would love to be able to maybe not pass those same bills, but to be able to do something similar if we could? Do you, do you look at those kind of things as a template for what you'd like to be able to do? I mean, I do, but also some of this is... I don't necessarily look at it as, oh, we're going to pass progressive policies. We're going to pass policies that are supported by a majority of Arizonans. Mm -hmm. Something like access to abortion or common sense gun legislation. These are, you know, sometimes framed as as progressive policies. They're not. They're Mm -hmm. broadly popular policies. 
And then also from, from my work and, and from being you know, around the legislature for so many years, people will ask me, you know, okay, well, once you get the majority, you're going to do the same thing to them, right? You're not going to hear their bills. And, you're gonna, and, I, and I say no, because I am deeply uncomfortable with the idea that we wouldn't give a voice to half of our state. Um, now, we would be thoughtful, certainly, about what kind of policies we would bring forward, but I would, I would seek to work with my colleagues across the aisle. Where, where can we find common ground here um, while enacting policies that move our state forward? So do you think that if Democrats want a majority that you could, you know your majority would pre- probably be small. It might be not long-lasting. It could be just one term or two. It could be um, uh, an example of maybe rules reform for the future. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. And and I think there's, you know, good opportunity for that. And I am very optimistic about uh, in, in 2024, particularly because, you know, with redistricting, you know, that was kind of a fraught process, although broadly, I'm, I'm, I think we did okay with our maps. Um, but it, it, we were expected to lose seats in, in both the state house and the state senate, and we didn't. We mm-hmm. held exactly what we held in, in 2020, and and for me that was a victory because it, it shows that there's there's room to build there, there's room to grow, and we certainly have a path to a majority in 2024. On the other hand, though, you look at states like North Carolina, like they are being very um, aggressive in what they can do with their majority. They they want to overturn what they can do for redistricting and gerrymandering. Um, Republicans in Florida, Ron DeSantis said, no, we're going to have the most Republican-friendly maps as possible. So you, Democrats will look at those states and say, look, they are doing these things to pass really egregious, terrible legislation. It's not just that we're losing like a sports team. It's what they're able to do is bad. Don't, do you think that Democrats, if they get majorities, whether it's a one seat or a 20 seat or whatever, that they need to respond in kind? Because a lot of Democrats see that and say, yeah, we, we have to match that same level of intensity or we'll lose out on things that will help people like abortion rights, like safe, uh, safety from guns, etc. I mean, I hear those concerns, but gerrymandering is, is not a good thing. Right. And voters hate gerrymandering. And, and something that has been really eye-opening for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a purple district, so my district is split a third, a third, a third, Republican, Democrat, Independent. And I'm really grateful for that because on the campaign, you know, I knocked almost 7,000 doors personally. And I spoke to the full spectrum. You know, I would not, I knock on anyone's door. And it gives me, I think, a broader perspective about what our state wants as a whole than, you know, if I was in a, a deep, red or deep blue district. I think it's important for us to make districts as competitive as mm-hmm. possible. And there are pockets of the state where that is just not going to happen. The districts are going to be blue. They're going to be red, period. But I think anything we can do to increase competitiveness, it means that you talk to more voters and that informs your your policy positions. Um, and, and I will always vote my district. I will always vote in the best interest of my district. And I work really hard to try and balance those those interests uh, and represent everyone. Yeah, one of my favorite conversations recently was with uh, state representative from Missouri, Ashley Ani. She was talking about how there are some Republicans who she really liked working with, but they went from an R plus five district to an R thirty because of redistricting. And suddenly, even if they are sincere in supporting some of those same things as before, they're not the same person because they have a whole different kind of district. And you know, here in Pennsylvania, we fought for fair districts for a long time. It was bipartisan from voters that the districts were messed up for especially on a state level 
But when people hear fair district, sometimes they think, well, it's a 50-50 state, so it should be 50% to Democrats, 50% to Republicans. And then there's not that doesn't mean it's competitive. Do you think fair districts means matching the uh, partisanship of the state? Or does it mean more making sure that we have as many competitive elections as possible? Or both? I mean, both. I would honestly say both. I think it's a mix. And, and I think there are certainly things we could do to strengthen our independent redistricting process. But in Arizona, we, you know, it's not housed in the legislature. I'm very glad of that, mm-hmm. that, that we don't draw our own maps. I think that's wild. Um, we yes. do have an independent redistricting commission who, who takes care of that. Um, I think there are some things we can do within that to make that process a little bit more balanced. But, you know, broadly in Arizona, I think I think we do OK with our maps. I wish we'd, we'd gotten a 10th congressional seat. I mm. think that would have been that would have been good for us. Um, but at the state level, I think, I think broadly we did all right with our maps. Well, one thing, though, in, in terms of perspectives, it's not just about Democrats, Republicans, independents. You bring a perspective as a teacher. You've now been there in the legislature. Uh, and from my experience, there's a lot of people who are kind of shut out from politics on a state level. It's not convenient for them to be in office. What perspectives do you think are missing now that you've seen there? Like, do you go into the office and you have to pass legislation? What kind of people would you like to see there, not in terms of their partisan politics, but man, I wish we had an engineer or we had this kind of person to uh, write legislation? Oh, gosh. I wish I could do it, you know, make a wish list of, of an engineer, mm-hmm. this, you know, professor, this kind of thing. But but more bigger than that, we need more everyday folks down mm-hmm. there at the legislature. And that comes down to pay, which is a strange thing to talk about of, you know, oh, we don't make enough money. But but truly, it's it's really hard to do this job because we're in session pretty much six months out of the year. And we're working like 12, 14 hour days. So it's not, it's, it's very difficult to hold an outside job while you're in session, although plenty of people do it. It's just, it's a tight, it's, you know, a lot to balance, but we make $24,000 a year. And I think that closes the door to a lot of um, working families or work, working folks who would bring incredible perspective from their communities. And they're pretty much shut out from the process just based on that pay. I would love to see us change that um, so that we could have a wider swath of, of the electorate represented at the Capitol. And I have heard that from so many people. The only people I haven't heard that from are the people like here in Pennsylvania where we actually pay our legislators. And I think I think that most people probably don't understand. They, they see you and probably think that you have a fancy legislative job, right? Do the people just expect that you're just living in a high tower just – you know, throwing money in your bathtub. They don't understand because why would they? It doesn't make them bad people. Right. Um, but like you said, there are good people we want to have in office. If people are interested now in getting involved, they're upset, they see issues that they care about like education, what would you recommend as their first step if they want to get involved in Arizona? So I I encourage everyone to run for office and particularly women mm-hmm. uh, because we're, we we know that women oftentimes need to be asked at least seven times before they'll they'll decide to run for office. So whenever I meet someone who's you know young and engaged or even just you know someone anyone, I tell them, have you ever thought about running for office? And oftentimes they they just look shocked, like no, no one's ever asked me that before. And I'll also hear people say things like, well, I would need to study a lot more and learn a lot more. And that's, I mean, that's true. You, you need to, you know, you need to brush up on policy and, and make sure that you know kind of the issues. But bigger than that, the, the, the magic ingredients are, will you care? Will you show up? And will you work really hard? 
things, everything else you can learn. And so I would encourage people to consider running for office, but I would also consider them to volunteer for a candidate or a cause that they care about because it will give you a really good idea of just like the simple brute force it takes to win elections, which is knocking doors day after day after day after day after day. Um, That's what it takes to win. You know, I think Arizona is a really great example of electing women, more so than some other states. Now, there's only two states that have a majority female legislature, and that needs a change because it means that men are a majority in every other state and have been since the beginning of time. And that really clouds what happens. But, you know, we we see that women have won statewide for multiple positions in Arizona from both parties. Does that change um, the women's perspectives on if they could be a candidate versus here in Pennsylvania, where we've never elected a woman as governor or senator? Gosh, I hope so. Um, I hope so, too. Because it's so important. It's so important for And I'll, so I'll tell you a story. I, uh, right after the Dobbs decision came down, we were at a 4th of July parade, my, my running mate and myself, and this woman brought her daughter over. And she said, I have to tell you something. I was trying to explain to my daughter what had happened and how do I explain that to a child that we've had rights that have now been taken away. And so she explained it to her daughter the best as she could. And, and her little girl said, you know, well, mom, it, it seems like women are the ones, you know, are the people who need to fix this, this problem. And her mom said, well, they are, they're running for office. And I want to introduce you to two of them. And, and that moment will always stick with me because I hope that little girl can see in, in us, this is doable. You can do this. Um, running for office, I think, is something that's so far removed from so many people's idea of what they might be in life. Say, just go for it. It's so rewarding. It's, t- it's hard work. Um, it's stressful. But it is the most exciting, fun, interesting thing I, I have ever done. And I am grateful every day to be there and to represent my community. I really love that story. And I and I agree. I, I've tried to talk to more women than men on this podcast because there's... 51% of the population is women in the country, and only 30% of elected officials are women. And and I imagine, I haven't looked into it, but I think that it probably skews more women in certain positions, too. So there's a greater imbalance in some important seats of power. Um, right now, it is 2023, and so there are a lot of local races happening now, but also people will be looking at next year's elections, whether it is for the top of the ticket or state legislature why would you encourage people to invest in running for office now? And from your experience in, in local office, because you've seen things up and down the ballot, where do you, do you think that there are things that people need to run for? Like, are we missing candidates for school board or other things? Or you know, where do you where do you want people to run for office now? School board, absolutely, absolutely. They are just up against it. It's a tough, tough position. I mean, we we need to. There are no. No illusions about that, that it is a really difficult job, but it's such an important one. And for many people, it can be a stepping stone into into higher office one day. It's a good way to get your feet wet. It is a volunteer position. I wish we we could pay our school board members, especially for the things they go through. Um, But school boards, certainly. And then there are offices that don't get a lot of attention, something like county assessor or board of supervisors that... You know, most people don't know what the Board of Supervisors does, although in Arizona, they've been in the headlines like crazy for the last several years. So I think people are getting a little bit more familiar with BOS. Um, But just looking at, you know, maybe there's a position that in elected office that that would be a perfect fit for you, you know, a water board or corporation commissions, you know, things like that. 
So just getting involved and getting plugged in with either party politics or, again, just a person that inspires you, I think, is a really good entry ramp into the broader political spectrum and, and what might be available and what, what might be out there for you. Yeah, you talked about how water is bipartisan. If someone is on the water board, that's a kind of candidate you might want to have in a state legislature in the future. Oh, my goodness. Water is such an issue in Arizona, and more experts we can bring out on water, the better. Is that something that you can get bipartisan support on? Because, you know, climate issues, environmental issues, which tie into that, are so um, partisan in nature. And I've heard from people like uh, South Carolina State Rep uh, Spencer Wetmore. She was talking about they use different kind of language to kind of get things moving in a positive direction. Is that something that you can move forward on in a bipartisan manner? I, I believe so. Absolutely, yes. I have been working for months and months and months with with a far right colleague, a far far right colleague, uh, on a water deal to to make sure that we have water for a certain part of our state and that we're closing some of the loopholes that that led to um, some of the really uh, disastrous things that we that we have happening right now. Um, and, and, you know, when we talk about water, it, it is shifting in Arizona. I really believe that. We, we don't frame it from a point of view of climate. It, you cannot ignore it at this point. I mean, we see the bathtub rings in Lake Powell where you can just see how low the water is dropping. Uh, we're we're going to be receiving less of an, of an allocation from the Colorado River. You, you, we cannot ignore these things. We can, I suppose, disagree about the cause, but we need to deal with them now. And, and we do see there, there is an appetite for that. And I think that that will only grow uh, as our water situation becomes more um, urgent, which, which it already is. So I am incredibly hopeful for those things. And broader than that, when you find those areas, I think it opens you up for other things like, hey, we worked really closely together on this water deal and we found that to be really successful. Are there other areas where we might be able to find com common ground? So for example, I, I shared with this colleague, you have a very different feeling about elections and, and what's happening within our election space. Why don't you and I sit down together over the interim and you can walk me through what it is that you see because I don't see it. I don't see what you see. But walk me through it and, and we'll look for things that we can do to increase confidence in our elections, grow transparency without closing off um, access to the ballot box for eligible voters. And so when you've built that trust, I mean, everything at the Capitol runs on trust, runs on relationships. When you've built that in other policy areas, I think that opens the door for you to do more. And, and that's, that's kind of the energy that I, that I, I mean, people tell me I'm a kindergarten teacher, you know, I, I very much have that energy down there of, just constant optimism and and always looking for the ways that we can work together. Well, I really appreciate that. And I've seen the kindergarten teachers my kids have, and it probably would work out because I think all of them would do a great job being a state legislator as well. Um, but hopefully people are listening. They've, they found an appetite as well to run for office get in, and uh, learn more. If they want to learn more from you and get more of your perspective, how what's the best way to reach out and uh, find out about your history and get, maybe get in touch? Uh, well, certainly you can reach out to me um, on my website, lauraforaz.com, uh, and then you can email me at my, my legislative account. All of our, our contact information is found on our, on our website, azledge.gov. Uh, I love to hear from folks, even folks in, in other states. Um, and if you're interested in running, yeah, I'd love to chat with you because it is truly the most one of the most rewarding things I have ever done, um, knowing that your neighbors, your, your community has, has chosen, you know, have chosen you 
to represent them and serve them is just the honor of a lifetime. And, and like I said, it's the most exciting, fun, interesting challenge that I have ever undertaken. And I think a lot of people would, would find the same joy in it. So I encourage everyone to get involved. Well, I, I will attest that Laura will get back to you multiple times. And so she will respond, and even though she's working very hard for Arizona. Thank you, Laura. I really appreciate what you're doing, and I hope people are inspired and maybe run for office as well. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here today.